0: From Washington, D.C. and around the world, this is Government Matters with Francis Rose. Thanks for watching Government Matters, the only show covering the latest news, trends, and topics that matter to the business of government. I'm your host, Francis Rose. Agencies have a February deadline to report firing data to the Office of Personnel Management. Acting OPM Director Michael Regis writes in a memo to agency heads, the report should cover fiscal 2019 and 2020. Regus's memo says the, the order also covers military departments, too. Camilo Sandoval appears to be the new federal chief information security officer. FedScoop reports he's listed as the federal CISO on the CIO Council website. The Office of Management and Budget hasn't made an official announcement of Sandoval's appointment, but his LinkedIn page says he's been in the job since last month. Contribution limits to your Thrift Savings Plan account for 2021 are official. The annual elective deferral limit for next year is $19,500. GovExec reports the catch-up contribution limit, if you're 50 or over, is $6,500. The General Services Administration and Defense Department have awarded the Defense Office Enterprise Solutions contract again. The reawards worth about $4.4 billion. That's just over half the original contract value. Alan Thomas is Chief Operating Officer in Telebridge, former Commissioner of the Federal Acquisition Service, at GSA. Alan, welcome. It's good to see you. How does this happen for a deal that started out at one price? and winds up at a lower price on the re-award. Is there, is there a tip, such a thing as a typical re-award like this?
1: Good, good to see you again also, Francis. Yeah, there, there probably isn't so, uh, such a thing as a typical re-award, right? I think, uh, you know, in this case, right, sometimes that top line number can be a little bit, uh, a little bit squishy. I mean, my, my sense is here, it's probably some combination of uh, some refined assumptions on adoption uh, and usage. And probably a little bit better pricing, right, that, that GSA and DOD were able to get when they did, uh, when, when they re and asked, them, asked both the players there to resubmit, which in the end is a, is a good deal for taxpayers, right?
0: One of the things that I'm remiss in doing often when I talk about these deals, too, is forgetting to add the phrase up to because the award is never necessarily having to be worth what the, what the top number is, right?
1: that's that that's correct right it, it really and in this case it's it's that's uh, that's absolutely correct right because you you're talking about a series of rollouts and some adoption usage in the military departments that may or may not go exactly as you think it might go when you award uh, award the contract everybody likes to focus on the on the top line number uh, but that's usually not that's usually not reality right
0: are there themes that you're seeing coming out of these cloud contracts and the recompetes? Uh, you're not here to talk about jedi but it strikes me that agencies all across government are looking at these deals and trying to figure out what the best steps are to move
1: forward alan well you know i think when i step back and look at this i say it's it's important because it actually shows that dod and in this case with some help from gsa can actually award and begin work on one of these mega cloud contracts so I, I did think about Jedi when I heard about the Rio board, because that's been, you know, that's been tied up for so long. You know, the demand signal from users for cloud capability is going full force right now, and I think people are wondering if the procurement process can keep pace. Hopefully, uh, this starts to show that the procurement process can uh, can keep pace. we um, we we'll, we'll, we'll see with respect to Jedi.
0: Where is is the easiest place for an agency to try to gain ground in that whole process? Is it in the requirements writing process? Is it in the research and work that they bring either directly to the vendor community or to GSA or some other contracting organization? Where do these things tend to go wrong when they
1: go wrong? So I think it really, you know, it's it's a sort of a measure twice, cut once kind of approach. And I think the acquisition strategy uh, is uh, is key. So you can certainly imagine a scenario um, where you designed an acquisition strategy that had more than one winner. For example, in the case of Jedi, which may have helped you on the back end in terms of when you awarded, being able to avoid uh, the protest scenario that they're that they're in now. You know, I think when you create such a large contract over such a long period of time, um, you know, and and big companies feel like they're going to potentially be entirely shut out of that kind of work for you know a decade or more. Uh, it you know it it creates a sort of incentive to uh, to kind of use every arrow in the quiver you can uh, to try and lengthen out the procurement process if you if you don't win. So thinking, being smart about the acquisition strategy and how you develop that at the beginning can save you a little bit of time on the the back end.
0: What did you observe when you were at GSA about the way that either that organization or the agencies were asking you to to build in on-ramps and off-ramps technology-wise into contracts like this? Because you mentioned this 10-year deal for, uh, according to FCW, word processing, spreadsheets, email, collaboration, file sharing, and storage. That business is completely different than it was in 2010, Alan. And by the end of this contract, I would imagine the Defense Department would see the same thing and want to have access to technologies that are available in 2026 that aren't available today.
1: Yeah, that's a a great question. I used to kind of joke that sometimes the technology is changing even while the the protests are being resolved, right? And sometimes what you thought you were buying a year or two ago is is a little bit different now. You know, I think think in this case, right, the— um, the the integrator is going to deploy Office 365 in this instance, right? So I think the department's thinking, hey, that you know that that's likely to kind of keep pace with uh, changes in the marketplace and sort of bring the the latest in you know email and productivity and collaboration tools to their users. So maybe in this instance, they're not so worried about um, you know new, new new technology. Although I would say it's a you know, it's a market that does have competition, right? I mean, uh, Google has a G Suite, right, which is deployed a number of agencies. When I was at GSA, we used G Suite. We loved it, L- lots of great capability. So, um, you know, at some point you've got to commit to be able to roll something out and get the standardization and drive down cost in an organization as big as DOD. But you probably do want to keep your eye on, um, you know, what's happening out there in the market. So if you need to, you can sort of add, uh, add and complement new tools in. Take, take, a look at, take a look at video conferencing, for example, right? I mean, you've got meat from Google and Zoom and Teams from Microsoft, right? And you might need some combination of all those in the DoD if we're going to continue to work in a really distributed fashion like we are now.
0: About 30 seconds left, Alan. Do you expect to see more kind of big bang deals like this that are long and, and big dollars?
1: Uh, I, I, I think so. Um, and I say that because I think people, again, are looking to drive standardization, uh and they're and they're looking to uh to to drive down cost right and in order in order to do that right you need to get the you need to get the scale right and and um uh, that you know that's you don't you don't get the benefit unless you unless you have the scale
0: alan thomas thanks very much it's great to see you again you too francis take care up next new leaders shaping the future of space straight ahead on government matters the newest roles shaping space policy you're watching wjla 24 7 news Welcome back. The Pentagon will stand up a new Assistant Secretary of Defense for Space policy job. Justin Johnson currently performs the duties of that job. Caitlin Johnson, no relation, is Deputy Director of the Aerospace Security Project, the Center for Strategic and International Studies. Caitlin, welcome. Thanks for coming back on the program. This job will live, it sounds like, in the office of the Secretary of Defense. Where does it fit, in your your view, in the hierarchy of space jobs across the department?
2: Sure, I think it's definitely an elevation of what was already ongoing um, from a deputy assistant secretary to an assistant secretary. It elevates the mission of space policy and gives more authority to the person who is confirmed in that role to go forward and coordinate across the department. It was also required by the FY 2020 NDA, so it's a little maybe late, on that as we are already into FY21, Um, but as you said, right now it's filled by Justin Johnson who is acting because this requires a nomination from the president and an appointment by Congress.
0: What does this say about the way that Congress, because it's a requirement in the NDAA, wants the department to move forward? It's striking to me that we're seeing so much positive interest from Congress when for so long most people seem to be opposed to the idea of a Space Force altogether. And now there's I guess success has a thousand fathers.
2: Sure. So I think um, for me, it's it's really about civilian oversight. Um, And that was a big, you know, it's always been a a big thing in our military to have a civilian oversight. And with Space Force being elevated into its own service and Space Command being set up, we saw a lot of movement and a lot of authorities being created on the military side of things. Um, so this position will give some uh, much-needed civilian oversight and able to um, coordinate across the department with um, other, you know, offices in DoD, the different services, intergovernment coordination, working with state and commerce as well, um, and NASA as, as well as our international partners and allies.
0: So this person is going to be the connective tissue among all of the space organizations that will remain inside the Defense Department. I think there's a misunderstanding from people who kind of watch this from the outside that everything space is going to move to the Space Force. That's not the case, just as all aviation in the military doesn't live in the Air Force. Am I reading that right?
2: Yes, I think so. I kind of have been thinking about it as a puppet master, pulling the strings of space policy, making sure that we are all, or the Defense Department is all moving forward um, in ways that support one another and make sense with the policy that comes out of the Office of the Secretary of Defense. We saw um, in the past six months, what is time these days in COVID, but um, we saw the space power doctrine. And so I think implementing that doctrine and the policies that were outlined in there will be uh, top of the list for this new secretary.
0: Another job I want to ask you about, just get your takeaway from the establishment of it, Assistant Secretary of the Air Force for Space Acquisition and Integration. Where does that job fit in this whole landscape, Caitlin?
2: Sure, so because the Space Force is still part of the Air Force, this assistant secretary within the Air Force will have jurisdiction and influence in the Space Force's acquisition and integration. Um, This is also a politically appointed position, so we will be waiting on a nomination and Senate appointment, um, and was also called for by Congress in the FY 2020 NDAA. So these two positions um, were created um, with the same, Thing in mind of civilian oversight and being this puppet master of all things. This one acquisition for space. Um, right now, their goal is to do you know everything so that it's set up. It um, they're connected within all of these different acquisition organizations that already exist within the Defense Department and in Space Force. Um, but I think you know a key challenge will be um, making sure that we don't have duplicative efforts across these different organizations and that the efforts that are being made are doing so, you know, in in good coordination with one another and um, helping support each other.
0: What else is on the radar screen as far as workforce across Space Force or space policymaking in the Defense Department, Caitlin?
2: Sure. Well, I think, you know, having an assistant secretary in OSD policy as a policy person myself is very exciting. I don't think it'll change a lot about the policies initially, but it's definitely um, over the long term will make an impact in getting more space policy experts into um, the Office of Secretary of Defense, um, who's already been doing some great work on that. Um, but we're also watching more people join the Space Force. Um, surface members from the Air Force have been accepted and are rolling in. There's a, um, a Space Force um, ceremony that will be taking place on the ISS because that is where um, the new to soon to be Space Force member is currently residing, which is an interesting uh, interesting ceremony, I'm sure, to coordinate. Um, but also looking at you know moving forward, will other service members from the other services, the Navy, the Air Force, the Marine Corps, uh, switch over to the Space Force, and how many?
0: Caitlin, uh, about 30 seconds left. Um, What will you watch, if anything, in any of the legislation that's working through Congress now, still have an NDAA deal to do?
2: Yes, they do, and obviously the election and the coronavirus have taken their toll on our normal operations for the NDAA, and space, so we're kind of waiting to see as that changes. But also, I think everyone is sitting on pins and needles right now, waiting for election results to see how um, Congress will shift and how potentially the administration will shift um, to see if that, in fact, in fact, will also impact space policy.
0: Caitlin Johnson, thanks very much. Thank you. Up next, how the Department of Veterans Affairs is recruiting IT talent. Straight ahead on Government Matters, top strategies for getting and keeping IT pros. Don't forget, if you miss an episode of Government Matters, you can find it on our website, govmatters.tv. Be right back. This month's Digital VA is brought to you by Pure Storage. The Department of Veterans Affairs has opened up more than 600 IT positions since the beginning of the pandemic. The push for an expanded IT workforce is coming as the agency focuses on prioritizing customer experience. Valman Cummins is Director of Human Capital Management at the Department of Veterans Affairs Office of Information and Technology. Valman, welcome. It's good to see you. How are you going about recruiting in a virtual world that we live in today?
3: Well, Good afternoon and it's a pleasure to be with you today. Uh, the, the assumption is that the virtual world has created more of a complex uh, hiring uh, situation. But actually we had a plan. Uh, we, we've already planned for hiring. So let's just let's talk about that for, for a minute. Uh, typically we post jobs on USA jobs and then we go out and we you know solicit candidates to apply. But we changed our strategy and we affectionately call it go get them. What we did was we made Uh, relationships with other organizations, veterans' organizations, military spouses' networks, and we did something very unique called resume mining. In other words, we went out and we searched for potential candidates in order to be potential employees at the Veterans Affairs. And in doing so, we had a pool of ready available candidates who could apply for our positions
0: how has the focus on customer experience changed if at all the way that you examine somebody's resume the way that you examine somebody's background to determine if they're going to be a good fit
3: well fit is also based on the requirements for the job so in order to be qualified you have to meet the specialized experience for each job so we're looking for quality candidates and we do that through looking at their competencies their skills and their abilities to support the veterans and especially the veterans in a, in a very unique environment here at the Veterans Affairs.
0: What are you doing to keep the people that you have? What, what, does, what does retention look like, not just numbers wise, but effort wise in the environment that we live in? How do you make sure people continue to be engaged and continue to be connected to each other and to the people that they're working for?
3: Sure, absolutely. Well, at the VA, our mission is everything. Uh, who would not want to work for those who care for, for or heroes or, or warriors? And, and we keep people engaged in a very unique way. So the pandemic created some challenges for us. Uh, most of our employees went to a virtual environment. But our CIO, uh, Mr. Jaffer, held monthly uh, town halls, CIO calls, in order to keep a very dispersed and diverse workforce uh, informed. Uh, we have a very robust IT infrastructure that supports our ability to communicate to the workforce. And and we did that in a number of ways. We also do employee engagement calls where employees can voice their concerns or get information up to leadership. So, you know, here at the VA, uh, being connected is is a very uh, not challenging way. We have the IT infrastructure to do that. And and we did that often and frequently.
0: I wanna go back to that resume mining concept that you mentioned a a few minutes ago, Valman, uh, that idea structurally what do you have to do to execute that what did you have to put in place to be able to dig as deep as you would like to
3: sure actually it's already in place every candidate that applies for a job posts their resumes to the talent acquisition system of the federal government it's referred to as usa jobs and in doing so they have the option to make their resumes searchable if you give us that option to make your resume searchable we have access to your resume and based on the requirements of the job we could then go out solicit the resumes for, for, qual- for qualifications and if you're qualified we shared those resumes with our hiring managers so before you even apply for a job we know whether you're qualified or not
0: what are you doing to try to expand the horizons you mentioned the works that you're doing the work that you're doing with uh, some of the veterans organizations and so on is that something that you can expect to see scale valman
3: well absolutely everything is scalable uh, the Office of Personnel Management has actually uh, expanded the horizon for us in the sense that they have given us expanded hiring authorities. Uh, we use our direct hire authority to hire critical positions or hard to fill positions. And, and in a certain sense, you know, the hiring effort has not been as difficult as it seemed. Uh, here at the VA, our Office of the Chief Human Capital Officer has been instrumental in providing us the guidance and the resources. We also use our three R's the recruitment, retention, and relocation incentives where needed in order to really attract that quality candidate. The the IT market is saturated. We are competing with the rest of the entire universe. But here at VA, we sell the mission. The mission is the most important thing. Where we can't compete with salaries, we can compete with your hearts and your minds to serve our veterans.
0: What's the onboarding process look like now, given that people are not coming into the office and you're not able to sit down across the table face-to-face from a new candidate, explain to them whatever they need to know uh, to be welcome and to be engaged as quickly as possible?
3: Sure, that's, that's a great question. Well, in, in keeping with the current, the current tempo uh, in, in a virtual environment, we have shifted a lot of our onboarding strategies to being virtual. As you and I are talking virtually right now, we do the same thing. So the connectedness still remains with with our employees. Uh, It's just not being face to face. It's more of a virtual environment. But we get to see them. We get to speak to them. We get to engage them. And we're constantly communicating with the workforce.
0: About 30 seconds left, Valman. What hiring authorities, if any, do you need to fill in uh, places that uh, gaps that you might have in the workforce now?
3: The Office of Personnel Management has gives, have, has given us many, many hiring authorities. I don't think we need any additional hiring authorities. I think what we what we really need is to continue branding, continue our outreach efforts, and continue motivating people to really look at the Veterans Affairs as a place that you would want to work. Because again, as, you know, as our mission and, and as Abraham Lincoln once said, you know, who wouldn't want to work for those who have borne the battle? You know, he didn't necessarily say quite like that. But at the end of the day, the mission of the VA and serving our veterans and our family members is the most important mission, and we can sell that to anyone.
0: Valman Cummins, thanks very much for joining me. It's great to have you
3: here. Thank you, it's it's a pleasure, and you have a great day.
2: I'm Cherise Hanner, you can now keep your finger to the pulse of all things that matter to the business of government, anytime, anywhere. Subscribe to the Government Matters podcast on Apple Podcasts, Google Play, Spotify, SoundCloud, TuneIn, or simply ask your digital assistant to play the Government Matters podcast. For a quick fix of government news, follow us at Twitter at GovMattersTV.
0: That's the latest from Washington. Join me weeknights at 8 and 11 on WJLA 24-7 News and Sunday mornings at 10.30 on ABC7. Stay plugged in on issues that matter to the business of government. Thanks for watching. I'm Francis Rose. Thanks for listening. Our daily program is produced by Sharice Hanner and Ashley Gallagher. Christy Marriott leads our technical crew. Our web editor is Beatrix Haddon. Government Matters was created by George Jackson. Visit govmatters.tv for articles, videos, and more, including our first feature-length documentary, The Dawn of Generation AI. Government Matters is recorded at WJLA-TV in Washington, D.C. Copyright Sinclair Broadcast Group.